Hello and welcome to Speaking Spirit, where we talk about all things spiritual. Your host, John Moore, is a shamanic practitioner and spiritual teacher. And now, here's John. Hello everybody, wherever you happen to be in the world. As I record this episode of the podcast, it is a uh, Sunday morning where I am, so I'll wish you a good morning, even though it could be any time of day um, that you're listening to this. And it's one of the cool things I love about technology and the internet and all of those wonderful things is that um, I can speak to people all over the world. I think the last count when I looked at my podcast statistics were 30 different countries people were listening to this from. So welcome wherever you're from and whatever time of day you're listening to this. Um, and I'm, ha- I'm, it makes me super happy to um, hear from people who've listened to this and, and uh, just know that people are listening and hopefully I, you know, I tr- do my best to offer useful tidbits and, you know, things I've picked up along the way and things I've learned in my training and discoveries I've made and that sort of thing. And I hope it's extremely useful for you. Beyond just sort of um, pontificating or, you know, this is, pardon me, this is how things go. By the way, I don't edit these, so if I cough a little bit or something, you get it raw. Um, I feel like that's a little more authentic when I come to you without editing of any kind. Um, so anyway, uh, I hope this is useful. My whole intention of this podcast is to provide useful information, not just, oh, that's interesting, or um, you know, something that you can put to use or some understanding that you can get that um, helps you on your spiritual path or uh, gives you information about a spiritual path you may want to explore or, you know, that sort of thing. And with that in mind, I'm going to talk about a subject that is, um, that comes up for me a lot, particularly when I'm teaching or when I've led groups in the past and that sort of thing. Um, So there's these two related concepts. One you know, I'll, I'll give them different names, but they're kind of two peas in a pod or two sides to the same coin, if you were. The um, one concept is this idea of toxic positivity, and that may sound a little strange to you, and you may never have heard that phrase before. And the other one is spiritual bypassing. Um, and, and again, you may or may not have heard those, either one of those terms. And so I'm going to As always, if I introduce something that may be new or a different concept, I'm going to define those terms. I'm going to define them from my understanding. Also, not because my definitions are correct, simply so you understand where I'm coming from. And you may have um, heard different definitions of these terms, and I'm not here to say that they're incorrect. I'm just here to say this is how I'm using them so you can understand them when I talk about them. So, um, you know, we probably all have the understanding of toxic or really negative people in our life, right? We have people who 
you know, we've all encountered people who seem to live to complain about things. And, um, you know, they, people that can, can really bring you down, can bring the energy of a room down. And, um, you know, it's understandable why some people might try to flip to the other side and look at everything in a positive light. <clears throat> and there's, there is a, there's a spiritual truth to that. There's a spiritual truth to the idea that, um, people are on their own path and people are experiencing things for reasons unseen and, um, we're all evolving and all of those things where this kind of becomes a problem is, or not even kind of where this is. There's a few places where positivity can become a problem, right? So the first, the first kind of most obvious one is the denial of reality, right? Um, there's sort of this famous, I don't know where it comes from, but there's this, on the internet, there's this famous meme image of, it's a dog who's sitting, I guess, in a house or so- something, and everything around him is on fire. And he's saying, everything is fine, right? Everything is fine. I'm just going to ignore the circumstances around me. I'm not going to take care of business, that sort of thing. That's one, and that leads to all kinds of problems. It leads to poor boundaries, right? With friends, oh, they're okay. You know, oh, this you know, this person's okay, that, that sort of thing. It leads to us not setting up proper boundaries with people sometimes. It leads us to not taking steps necessary to solve our problems, um, that sort of thing. So in that way, positivity, um, sort of unwarranted positivity, which takes the form of ignoring reality or ignoring the steps need needed to be taken in certain circumstances, therein it becomes toxic. I think going into things with having the attitude of, um, I'm going to do all I can do and things will turn out okay is totally fine, right? Things will turn out as they are supposed to. I'm still going to do what I need to do. And I, I tend to approach things from, um, you know, obviously I'm a shamanic practitioner. My training is in shamanism. And um, so I tend to approach things from that perspective. And in shamanism, we are, you know, practitioners are expected to walk in multiple worlds. That is, we deal with physical reality and we deal with spiritual reality at the same time. Um, and, you know, traditional shamanic cultures, you were, you know, if you held the role of shaman in a culture, you were not just a healer, but you would probably be expected to, um, you know, help your, your, uh, help your tribe in other ways, such as help them know when to plant things or help them know when to move a herd or when to hunt or, you know, that sort of thing. You're taking care of the everyday things that kept kept your community healthy, safe, and sane, as well as attending to the spiritual needs of the community. I know in, um, and I am not an expert, but I, you know, I've read a little about the 
you know, the kahuna in Hawaii. And the kahunas, um, you know, we might call them shaman or medicine men or, or what have you, but my understanding is they had um, specialties and there were kahunas who were good at navigation and good or good at fishing or good at um, planting crops or, you know, could navigate by the stars and all of these things. So there was a level of really practical, real-world survival and thriving knowledge that they had to have um, besides the sort of hidden spiritual teachings that went on as well. Um, and that, you know, that's true in other cultures as well, that the shamanic people in other cultures may have had specialties. Some may have been healers, some may have been diviners, some may have had other um, other types of specialties. And I find that true even with modern shamanism, with core shamanism, um, you know, I know people who are, say, you know, work with animals, animal whispers. I know people who are specialized around um, soul retrieval or depossession or, you know, bunches of practices and the people that are specialized around them, whether shamanism is a specialty for some people, that sort of thing. Um, but again, the, the idea is attending to the entirety of reality, which includes physical reality as well. So the other side of toxic positivity, um, and I'm going to, I'm going to spend some time at near the end of this podcast talking about um, holding space and what that means, holding space for others who may be experiencing something painful and how to be, how to be a, healing presence for those people who are going through something uh, challenging, difficulting. So um, again, so toxic positivity where, you know, again, so we, it can be become toxic with ourselves when we are uh, ignoring circumstances that are going on. And it can become toxic towards others when we seek to have them bypass their pain, right? So um, this is the one that, um, you know, people are, people have great intentions sometimes. Um, and when a loved one passes away, and this happens frequently in my experience in the United States, and I don't know if other cultures um, have similar similar things. Um, but this is something that happens here that I've seen a lot. So, um, somebody passes away and people try to comfort their loved ones by saying pleasantries like, oh, they're in a better place now, or, oh, they're out of pain or, you know, look on the bright, you know, look on the bright side of your loved one passing away. And these people are absolutely well-intentioned, loving human beings who, just want to alleviate the pain and grief that another person is going through. Um, the issue with this is grief is a natural process that we all need to go through. And you can't really bypass it. You can push it off. You can shove it down into the shadow part of you. I've talked a lot in the past. I've done an entire podcast on shadow 
work and this is an area of mine that I focus a lot on um, because everybody everybody has a shadow and everybody should be doing shadow work in my opinion. So, you know, when, you know, when somebody is going through something rough, whether that's the loss of a loved one or a breakup or something else, loss of a job, loss of a home, um, and you show up and try to paint something, um, you know, paint it in a better light or something like that. Um, that's not particularly helpful, actually. You know, a person may or may not feel a little bit better for a very short period of time. Um, but you're bypassing the natural grieving process. This is, I'm going to talk about a solution for that. I'm going to talk about what it means to hold space for somebody towards the end of this podcast, after I get through the toxic parts. Um, again, you know, I, I try to be useful. So if I'm just talking about things that are bad, um, these are, you know, not bad. Bad's a value judgment. These are sort of stumbling blocks, um, stumbling blocks to becoming a more integrated person and helping others to become more integrated and or st- staying out of the way of others' own integration work. So, um, you know, again, this is toxic and I have, um, you know, personally when I've been through something rough and somebody comes to me and says, oh, it's going to be okay. You're going to be great. You're going to get back in the, you know, da, 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 da. Um, you're ignoring my pain and I often feel, have felt, I guess, resentful of that. I felt resentful of somebody trying to bypass my pain and saying, you know, basically it feels like somebody saying your pain is illegitimate because you're just not looking at things from the proper perspective. Um, and that is a real, <laughs> that's a real judgment. It, um, in a, in a subtle way and as well-intentioned as that may be in a subtle way, it's very shaming. It's saying there's something wrong with you for feeling pain. It's something wrong with you for um, taking the death of a loved one so harshly. You should be looking at things from a different perspective, and then your pain will magically go away. It's not how it works. It's not how it has ever worked. It's not how it will ever work. Um, so again, you know, I'm going to talk about uh, towards the end. I'm going to talk about the solution, a solution for that how you can show up for people because, you know, most people care about other human beings. And again, these can be very well-intentioned things that we're doing when we show up for somebody and say, oh, look on the bright side. Um, You can have the best of intentions. I'm just here to alleviate this person's pain. I want them to feel better. But there's another part of this as well. Another part of it is that... Um, there can be discomfort and awkwardness with experiencing somebody going through something hard, going through some painful emotions, some painful challenges. Um, And so, you know, maybe on an unconscious level, we want to avoid that. We want to avoid experiencing that. 
because we're empathetic and we feel what other people are feeling and it's painful to see somebody we care about going through something hard, going through something painful. We want to make it better. We want to fix things. I fall into that category. I'm a fixer. I love to fix things. It was a hard, it's a hard lesson for me. I want to jump in, make everybody feel better. Um, it's been a real work, it, you know, it's a work in progress for me to um, not rescue people from their feelings. And this comes up in um, teaching quite frequently when I'm teaching, um, teaching shamanism in particular. Um, you know, we sit in, we sit in a circle, which is a sacred shape. And um, so we can see everybody interact with everybody. And there's this sort of energetic um, connection that, that happens in a circle. That's a little hard to describe. There's a closeness, even if the people you're in the room with are strangers, you're in their energy field, you're observing them, that sort of thing. And um, sometimes people have some really hard emotions come up. Sometimes people break down and cry and circle or that sort of thing. And there's this urge because people there tend to be good people who want to be helping others and they're spiritually conscious and all of these things. There's this urge to rescue them from their feelings. And at the beginning of um, any sort of training circle, we always tell people um, when somebody has these tough feelings come up or somebody gets emotional or they start crying or whatever, it is not your job to rescue them. Um, there's a there's a number of reasons for that. One is um, people are fully capable of rescuing themselves. And we go from that assumption that everybody has sovereignty, including emotional sovereignty, over themselves. You know, another reason is is exactly what I'm talking about, where not wanting people to bypass these feelings that are coming up. They're, they're coming up for a reason. You know, um, whether it's some old trauma or just something else, you know, this stuff that's been stored in our body, mind, and spirit for so long wants to come up and be expressed. And we should let that. We should honor it. We should allow it. We should allow people to melt down. Um, obviously, we don't allow people to harm themselves. We make sure people are in um, an okay condition to drive when they leave or, you know, are grounded and integrated before they before they head home. And that's a safety issue more than anything else. Um, we just don't, we don't want people having an emotional breakdown and hopping in their car and getting into an accident or harming themselves in some other way or, you know, that, that sort of thing. Um, but that's not bypassing. It's not, um, you know, that's just a safety issue, but you know, so I've seen this over and over again. Somebody has some emotions and people like, um, you know, want to jump in and talk about it, want to jump in and, rescue, save that person from themselves, save them from their tough emotions. No, you're supposed to feel those. They're supposed to come up and they are unpleasant. But when you're, when they, you allow them to move through you, 
they have less of a hold on your life. Um, and I would encourage you to, I'll probably do more episodes on shadow stuff going forward. So we're talking about, you know, at this this point we're talking about toxic positivity um, and how it, how it kind of shows up in ways that stifle the natural um, movement of emotion or um, we use as a way to blind us to the reality that we're in, right? We're sitting in the room that's on fire going, everything is okay, I feel great. Um, no, recognize that you're afraid. And I remember, um, you know, a few years ago, uh, obviously before the pandemic, I was hosting um, meetups in the area for a group called um, Spiritually Conscious Professionals. And we, you know, they were basically open to anyone who had any sort of spiritual consciousness or spiritually curious or, you know, that sort of thing. And we had people from all walks of life and all different types of spirituality show up. We had people who were minister, Christian ministers, um, who were counseling ministers. We had people who were, um, acupuncturists and practiced, you know, Taoism. And we had people who were, um, you know, Reiki practitioners or shamanic practitioners or what have you. And it was a really nice meetup and I hope to get back to it post pandemic, um, in person, um, it, and it was great. There were lots of shares, lots of viewpoints. And I'll never forget there were two young women who showed up to one of the meetings, and they were new to a spiritual path, and they were both in recovery from drug addiction. So fairly new to recovery. They were, I believe, um, getting outpatient treatment for um substance addiction. I don't, you know, I don't know which substances, but, um, you know, that's a pretty big deal. And they have been working, um, in part, they'd been working spiritually to help them with some of the challenges of overcoming addiction. And gosh, what a hard path that is. I, you know, as an outside observer, um, you know, and having lots of people that I'm related to and lots of people I know struggle with addiction, what a hard path that is. And we should recognize that. You know, we should recognize what challenging, what a challenging thing addiction is. Um, it is not uh, something I wish on anybody. Um, it's a horrible thing to kick. Anyway, these two young women... Um, great intentions. They came, you know, they came to talk about spirituality and all of these things. And, you know, one of the young women, um, was talking about how she thought, you know, she thought that she was at the point in her spiritual development where she shouldn't get angry at people anymore. Um, wouldn't that be a lovely thing, right? Um, and, you know, on her way over to the meeting, Somebody, she was in traffic and somebody had cut her off or something and she got angry with that person. And then she noticed she was angry with that person and became angry about being angry. I shouldn't be angry. And, you know, and my question for her was, well, then were you angry that you got angry that you were angry? And how far does that go? 
you know, if you had just had allowed yourself a human moment and said, I feel angry right now, um, it would have passed probably in a few minutes. But she hung on to it and she got, then she got angry at herself. And this isn't necessarily toxic positivity because she wasn't bypassing, but there was this idea that is present in toxic positivity and in spiritual bypassing that um, I'm evolved to the point where I shouldn't feel these feelings anymore. Or it's wrong to have certain types of feelings. Or it's, um, you know, it's the shoulds. When we get into the shoulds and the shouldn'ts, we tend to be shaming ourselves. She was basically shaming herself for having a human moment. And it's not to say you can't reflect on your feelings. It's not to say, gosh, I got really mad at that guy a few minutes ago for cutting me off in traffic. And, you know, that seems like a silly, small, minor thing to get mad about. But where is that coming from for me? That's when this can turn into a positive thing. When we start to look at um, the stuff that might be in our shadow, why am I getting triggered by this? Why am I getting angry about this? And that's not to judge it. It's not to say this is bad or wrong or, again, should or shouldn't. It's not about judgment. It's about discernment. It's about what's going on for me, what is what is in me that needs to be healed or... Um, where is this coming from? Where is this anger coming from? Being triggered is a really good indicator, usually that there's a wound in the unconscious or that there's a wound that is unconscious, I should say. It's a better way to phrase that. There's an unconscious wound. And, um, you know, from talking about shadow stuff and shadow work, we know that um, healing and integration is really about casting a light on the stuff that's in our shadow. It's not about pretending that it's not there. It's not about pretending that we don't get angry. It's not about um, convincing ourselves that we're bad because we feel angry or we're not enlightened or evolved or ascended or what have you because we feel anger. None of those things. Um, it's about recognizing that we're human and we have those moments. And, um, you know, you may get to the point in your spiritual development where things bother you a lot less. You become more imperturbable. And that is a noble goal. But that is not something that you can fake it till you make it. Because... By faking it, again, you're cramming these emotions down into your shadow. And the stuff that's in your shadow, if you don't recognize it, integrate it, work with it, it will run your life in ways that you don't even expect, that you don't even know. Um, a good example, if you've ever watched the show Seinfeld, um, you know, there's an episode where the character George's father has this little phrase that he repeats um, 
serenity now he's just serenity now serenity now but he's getting angrier and angrier and he's instead of calming himself it's he's screaming it right and you know it's it's a joke you know it's meant to be funny because here's this guy screaming serenity now as he's getting completely out outraged um but it's you know if you honor if you honor your feelings and you look at them and you look at them from not a, you look at them from a non-judgmental perspective you know um it's you know it's hard to it, it's a little bit hard to say this but if you treat yourself a little bit like you would treat a toddler okay toddler who's having a temper tantrum screaming and shaming at that toddler is not going to stop that toddler from having a temper tantrum that will not work that will make things uh i'm a dad i know that will make that would make things much much worse instead you you know one tack is to recognize the toddler's feelings and say oh my gosh you're so angry you know tell me about what's making you so angry you know and sit with them and respect that they're feeling angry you can't talk a toddler out of feeling angry so there are parts of us there there are parts of us inside that are childish as well parts that may never have grown up and that's fine we've all heard of the inner child and all of that sort of thing and a lot of our emotion comes from there um some of it comes from childhood wounding or other traumatic experiences and you can't yell at or shame yourself or you know convince yourself that that stuff doesn't exist but you can honor it and you can work with it and it will have less of less of a grasp on your life. I'm not saying you'll feel emotions less. I'm saying you'll have um, fewer unconscious responses. You'll be less reactive, maybe. You'll feel better. You might have less depression. You might feel healthier from not suppressing constantly. Um, I know I do. I know, you know, for years and years, I repressed a whole lot of stuff, uh, decades actually. And, um, you know, my own story is, you know, I come from a background of trauma, serious childhood trauma. Um, I come from a family where there was, um, domestic abuse and child abuse and, um, uh, substance abuse. And, you know, the word abuse happens a lot. And I bypassed that for decades because it was so painful. It was so painful to look at. It was painful to express my feelings. And um, that came to a head with a real health crisis, actually. And that's what got me to sort of to come into shamanism as a way to heal myself. I, you know, I will fully admit that I came to shamanism for me. Um, 100% selfish perspective that I just wanted some self-healing. Um, but those floodgates opened and I was not in control. And it was, um, you know, it was, it was a extremely uncontrolled mess. My life became a mess. And as a dad, I was, uh, you know not always the best dad I could be. I never, 
you know, I never abused my children or anything like that, but I just couldn't be present for them because I couldn't be present with myself. I couldn't, you know, I was lost. I went through a crisis. Um, and, you know, in allowing myself to move through that and working with my shadow material and, and all of those things, um, I really did take better control of my life. I really did get a grip on things and I really did become the the father I wanted to be and have the relationship with my daughters. I'm so close with my daughters, very, very close with my daughters. And, um, you know, I treasure nothing more than my relationship with them. I have a fantastic relationship with my daughters. And, you know, there's a lot of research that um, says that when parents do their own work and heal, um, that has an extremely positive effect on kids' mental health. So, um, so I'm happy to say, and I will never say that I'm perfect. I will never say that I'm done. I will never say any of those things. Um, continually work on myself, continually do my self work. But in the process, I found out that I was pretty good at helping other people as well. And that I loved teaching. Um, and I loved teaching, especially people to help themselves because ultimately, um, we are all, you know, internally we are all sparks from the same divine light. And um, you are you are as divine as anybody. You have the same piece of divinity within you that everyone else has. You are connected to everything. And um, I've talked about divinity a lot, and I will probably talk about it more in future podcasts, but... I believe that and I've seen that and um, I have seen people shine their light and it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So anyway, um, toxic positivity, you know, I've talked a lot about that and I want to talk a little bit about spiritual bypassing, which is a another another kind of aspect of the same phenomena, I guess. So when we talk about spiritual bypassing, um, we're talking about people who are, again, they're using spirituality to bypass. And I realize I'm using the term to define the term, but I will, I'll get better with this. I promise I'll narrow it down a little bit more. They're using um, spirituality to ignore their feelings to bypass boundaries, to, you know, again, it's just like with toxic positivity. They're sitting in the burning room going, everything is fine. This is what was meant to be. Um, I am, I am ascended. Um, you know, and, and again, with the story with the, with the young woman who came to my meetup and she was, she was angry at herself for getting angry what she was doing was she was attempting unsuccessfully to spiritually bypass her anger to say, I am at a level of spirit now where I don't have human emotions. Um, you know, I haven't met too many people that have completely bypassed spiritual 
you know, use spiritual means to completely bypass human emotion. Um, and by, I haven't met too many people. I think the exact number of people I've met is zero. And I have met all kinds of people. I have spent time with Tibetan Buddhist monks and new, lots of new age people and, um, met hundreds of shamanic practitioners and energy workers and all kinds of, all kinds of people. Um, and yeah, I mean, there, there's a fair, uh, there are a fair amount of people who are, um, have declared themselves enlightened or ascended or what have you, um, you know, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna speak to that too much. I think, um, I think there, are, you know, I think there are people who have um, an abiding consciousness of their non-dual nature. I think there are people who've gotten there. Um, it's pretty rare. I mean, by abiding, I mean all the time. I think lots and lots of people have these glimpses of their connection to everything. Um, I certainly get them, um, but it's it's a hard place to abide in because we all have egos and we all have um, identified with, to some degree with a body and with a name and with labels. You know, I'm a dad, I'm a shamanic practitioner, I'm, I'm an American, I'm this, I'm that. And, um, you know, part of the work that I do spiritually is to spend some time disidentifying with those labels, roles, and ideas. However, I still got to come back into waking reality and, um, you know, show the tribe where to plant the corn, show the tribe where to hunt the elk, you know, those kinds of things. Of course, I'm being metaphoric here. Although I do live next to a farm where they grow corn, I do not show them where to grow it, and I don't hunt elk. But being metaphoric, I still have to walk in both worlds. I still have to, um, you know, take my kids to school and and those kinds of things, and deal with the pandemic. You know, I just got my first vaccine shot and I'm looking forward to getting my second one so that I can start to have um, gatherings again with other people who have been vaccinated. You know, as spiritual as I am and into spiritual healing as I am, I still um, trust the science. I still trust medicine. I still go to the doctor. All of those things. I don't spiritually bypass that. So I think, you know, what happens, and, and, you know, this is something I've spoken about before as well, is that when you are doing spiritual development, I'm speaking in a very broad term here, you're developing your astral body. And again, I'm, you know, I'm speaking in a very broad term as well here, because you could be doing all kinds of things. You could be developing your physical body using yoga asanas. Um, You could be developing your etheric body by, you know, meditating on chakras and doing um, cleansing and, you know, that sort of thing. But when you do, um, when you do do these things and when you gain knowledge and when you practice and you meditate and you pray and you um, make offerings and all, you know, 
any of these things that you do that are spiritual, that offer spiritual development, you are developing your, your astral body, right? Your, what we might call your soul body, you're developing that. And it's, you know, not developing like you're building muscles on it because it is a formless thing. Um, one of the things that happens when you develop your astral body is it's very, um, you know, to use a big term, it's hubricistic. It develops your, your ego interface with that, um, gets stronger and you, um, you know, again, it, it's, it's, you know, in the West, we might use the term, he's got a big ego. So you develop this, um, this, this ego. And part of that is, and by ego, I just mean it's, it's the part of you that you identify as. It's the part of you that when you say I, and you're conscious of as a separate thing, it's just your consciousness of who you are as an individual, right? Instead of who you are as part of the whole, it's who you are your consciousness of who you are as an individual and as a separate being. And we know under it all, there's no separation, but um, you know, we still have this ego. We still experience, we experience light. We are the universe. We're piece of piece of creation experiencing itself, right? Broken into little pieces so we can experience life and go through and have all these lessons and things. So, um, you know, so the, so the ego gets bigger, right? It gets inflated, um, you know, and the, you know, again, it's not necessarily a judgment, um, but it can really hinder people and it can become dangerous. And we've seen this over and over again with um, spiritual leaders who develop a following and they wind up, um, you know, in abusive relationships somehow. Could be sexual abuse, could be financial abuse, could be physical abuse, could be abuse of sovereignty and boundaries, right? Taking away people's freedom to choose for themselves. Um, and this happens over and over again all the time with people who have a high level of spiritual development but have not done their shadow work, have not done their cleanup. And the problem is that they have, because they have developed high, you know, they've developed the astral body, um, but they haven't cleaned up the shadow, you know, they're often seen when they gather a following is they're often seen as beyond reproach, right? This person is enlightened. They're ascended. They're a master. They channel the, you know, the old gods or, you know, what have you. They're seen as infallible. They're seen as perfect. They're seen as beyond reproach. Nothing they do is wrong. And unfortunately, that's how um, a lot of these people get away with abuses for a really, really long period of time. Sometimes. You know, we look at the, um, you know, one of the most famous cases was the Jim Jones case. And where he, you know, had, I think it was close to a thousand people ingest cyanide 
you know, in this cult and they all, you know, they died. Um, many of them children, you know, we have, um, you know, we have lots of yogis who start ashrams who wind up sexually abusing, um, their, you know, people and, you know, there's this whole sort of guru relationship and not to take anything away from people who enter into guru relationships. I'm sure there are lots of them that are fine and healthy. Um, but there are a lot of them that aren't. And, um, we start to lose our discernment when we hand over, um, we hand over our sovereignty to somebody else because we perceive them as being above us spiritually more developed, ascended, you know, all of those things. I'm not a huge fan of the whole ascension thing. Um, and maybe I just don't understand it enough, but it seems very patriarchal to me. I am ascended literally above you, literally above others. Um, you know, it's not to say people doing the work that they're calling ascension aren't doing fine spiritual development work. I just, I don't know. Um, it's just a term that uh, I've seen thrown around a lot by people who are um, sometimes sleazy, for lack of a better term. And not everybody, certainly not everybody, using the that term, or not even most people. But it's a hide. So if you're using spirituality as a hide, if you're using it as a method of denial, if you're using it to not feel your feelings or you're using it to not address your shadow, you're doing what we call spiritual bypassing. The danger of that is you're not doing your cleanup work. You're not doing the shadow work that you need to be doing. In fact, you're probably increasing your shadow. You're probably cramming more trauma, feeling hurt down into your shadow, saying it's unacceptable for me to have human experiences. I should not. I'm too spiritual for that. I don't get angry. I've ascended. Um, this is not to say you can't let go of feelings, they come up and you can let them go as they come up, but you can only do that if you're addressing them. You can't do that if you're denying them. You can't, you can't release feelings. You can't release emotional energy if you deny that it exists, right? It's like, um, you know, it's like in spy movies when they're holding, you know, when they're holding somebody in secret in a secret location, um, and nobody's gonna seek them out to rescue them because they don't know that they exist, right? Or they don't know they don't know that they're in danger, right? I'm a big fan of the old James Bond films. I, you know, I loved Sean Connery and. Roger Moore and, you know, all those guys, um, you know, and they tended to have to rescue themselves because they were, you know, they were on this top secret mission. And that's what your feelings are if you push them down. Your feelings are not meant to be secret agents. So 
let's talk, you know, because I, again, I want these podcast episodes to be useful to you. Let's talk about some solutions for this. So, um, the first solution is when you're dealing with your own stuff, you know, first of all, um, do shadow work, seek out somebody to teach you to do shadow work, read about shadow work, find a, you know, work with a depth psychologist or work with a shamanic practitioner who is versed in shadow work and do this work. Um, if you're doing spiritual work at all and you're not addressing your shadow, um, you're missing at least half, but probably more of the work to be done. But I think any, everybody could benefit from shadow work, whether you're doing spiritual work or not. And there's all kinds of ways to do that. So that's, that's the first one. The second one is to become observant. Um, to become really observant of your feelings as they arise. Um, and it's okay to, you know, it's okay to label them. It's okay to examine them, but don't, you know, don't push them away. And I know it can be hard if you're in a situation, you're sitting at work and you're overcome with an emotion and you're like, I got to just get through the day. I get that. I do get that. Um, and sometimes you just need time, you know, some time to, um, I get, I have to, you know, I've got to focus on something right now and I'll deal with this later. The problem is when later never comes. So one of the, you know, one of the healing practices that I have um, myself used and and have gotten great benefit from is to um, learn to become comfortable with the discomfort and sit with painful emotions. Um, and when I say sit with painful emotions, um, I, I literally mean that. I mean sit and just experience the emotion and allow it, allow the emotion. What will happen is that um, your emotions will peak. Uh, they'll, be, they'll come in waves. There'll be peaks and valleys and that sort of thing. And eventually the energy will move through you. And the important thing is not to attach to it. Don't become mired in it. Don't fuel it. Um, and don't push it away. So you sit in a space of allowing and allow yourself to feel what you're feeling. And if you decide this is useful, you can, um, you can explore it from a sensory perspective, meaning where do I feel this in my body? Does it have a size? Does it have a shape? Would I associate a color with it? Does it have a texture? Does it have a temperature? Does it have a sound? Does it have a smell? Is there a taste in my mouth? You can explore it from that perspective, from the perspective of curiosity. Um, over time, over time, you know, this allows a lot of stuff to come up and out that wants to move through you. It doesn't want to be locked in. This emotion, this, these feelings, these hard things, they don't want to be locked in, so they want to come up and out. So that is that is one aspect. So the shadow work, um, sitting 
you know, becoming comfortable with a discomfort and sitting with painful feelings um, without having to take action on them, just feel them. Just feel them. There's nothing to do. Just be with them. Okay? And the third piece is learning to hold space for with others. So this is, you know, and I talked earlier on about what happens when I've been in circle teaching and um, hard emotions come up for some somebody and there are other people in the group whose instinct is to rescue that person, to save them from what they're feeling, to make them feel better, to comfort them. And we've got, you know, we've, we try to put a really um, safe container around the space so people can have these feelings come up and out and it's fine. And we might offer somebody tissues if they're crying. But what we really do is something called holding space. And you can do this with an individual, you can do this in a circle, you can do this as a collective. Holding space is really about being completely attentive. This is hard. It is a hard thing to learn to do. It's hard for me. It's still hard for me sometimes. You sit with empathy and total attentiveness to this other person and you become a sacred witness to their feelings and trust me when I say there is something immensely healing about that so you sit without judgment this is good this is bad this is you know should shouldn't all of those things you sit without judgment or stand, or whatever. <laughs> you know, it doesn't have to be sitting. I'm just thinking in my brain, I'm picturing, um, you know, sitting in circle with people who are going through tough emotions. We don't run to their rescue. We don't offer them personal stories about ourselves. This is a big one. Oh, you know, I had the same thing happen to me, and blah, blah, blah. Nope. No. It's not about you. It is about them. It's about you being a sacred witness to their pain, Um, And by doing that, about creating that container for them, for this pain, the pain will resolve. It will, on its own. But not only that, you're empowering this person by recognizing their sovereignty, by recognizing their personal boundaries. Your job is to sit there and feel all of the awkwardness that there is. Um, the, the challenge sometimes is what to say, if anything, right? What to say to this person so that I'm not trampling on their sovereignty. So, um, oftentimes the answer to that is nothing, say nothing, just sit and allow them to um, experience whatever's coming up. Um, you can be encouraging. Sometimes I've had clients um, who've gone through some emotion and apologized for um, having some emotion. 
you know, I'm sorry that I'm crying or, you know, whatever. Um, you know, and I don't want them to feel shameful or sorry that they're having some emotion. So sometimes I will offer a word of encouragement and say, it's okay, allow it all to come up. Or it's okay, let's just sit with it. Um, what is what frequently happens with fixers, and, and again, I'm a fixer, so I have this instinct, is that we'll often jump into advice for somebody who's going through something. And that's not what, that's not necessarily helpful. Because I'm having a moment, I'm having an emotional moment. I don't, I'm not thinking from my rational mind. When you're in, you know, just from a biological perspective, you might be operating from older parts of your brain, your limbic system, not operating from your neocortex. You're not in problem-solving mode at that point. You're just in, I'm dealing with, you know, these overwhelming emotions that come up mode. And somebody jumping in and saying, you know what you should do is X, Y, or Z. That is, it's not the time for that. It's not helpful. And, um... If, you, if there's a question about it, if somebody comes to you, um, and this is, something, this is something I love. I didn't invent any of these things. I'm just relaying them to you. These are things that I've learned. I've learned them from others. Um, I've learned them from people who were practitioners. I've learned them from people who are in helping professions. So um, if there's a question, if somebody comes to you with a problem and they're talking about a problem and they're emotional and they're, you know, whatever, your job is mainly to empathize with them. But if there's a question about offering them advice, um, just ask. Just ask. Would you like some advice about this or do you just want to sit and talk about this? You know, put it into your own words. But, um, you know, I have, uh, you know, I've had, um, you know, I've had people sort of trump on, you know, I've had an issue. I've had people sort of step all over me and start to offer me advice. And it's usually unhelpful or something I've already tried or that sort of thing. And then I feel like I don't want to share anymore. And so then I've got to like stifle those feelings. So then it puts the onus on me to um, deal with this other person who's trying to trying to help me, and they probably have great intentions, but what they're doing is not necessarily that helpful. So learn to sit and hold space. And if there is a question about whether advice or help is needed, ask. Sit with empathy. It's okay to empathize with people. So, um, you know, just one small example from my life. You know, my my daughter, um, both of my daughters are very smart. They do really well in school. And I have one daughter who tends to be really hard on herself when it comes to grades. And, you know, um, she got a grade she didn't like on a test at one point. And she came to me in tears and... It was just, um, you know, she was a bit of a mess. 
Um, she's very emotional about this and, you know, she just starts talking, well, you know, these questions on the test, we didn't study this material and the teacher never covered it in class and this and that. And so, um, instead of jumping in and trying to say, you know, um, immediately trying to say, oh, it's going to be okay or, you know, whatever, I did enter into her world a little bit and I go, man, that really sucks. I hate it when teachers do that. I hate it when teachers put stuff on tests. How can they put something on a test that you never studied in class? You know, she just wanted a little empathy. She wanted some respect for what she was feeling. You know, and when she was able to calm down a little bit after that, after she saw that I was respecting her feelings and we allowed the emotion to pass through, then I could talk to her and say, hey, you know, um, have you thought about the fact that this is just one test? You know, what are some things we can, what are some, what are some things that you could do? Could you contact a te-? You know, and it, I, I always try to place it into the hands of the other person if I can, because I want to respect their sovereignty and their ability to solve their own problems. I think most people have their own solutions. Um, but we, we box people in pretty tightly. You know, we, we box behaviors in pretty tightly and, um, people are always looking for social approval for things. And I, you know, um, as best you can give, give people your approval. Um, really love is about acceptance and approval and that sort of thing. Um, you know, and holding space is really about that. It's really about, I approve, I, I, you know, I wish you weren't going through this pain, but I approve of your expression of it. I approve of you feeling your feelings. I approve of your reaction to this painful situation. I accept it openly from one piece of divinity to another. Okay, so you can empathize Say, man, that really sucks. I had a client one time whose um, significant other was cheating. She discovered that her significant other was cheating and was obviously extremely upset. And, um, you know, I was like, wow, that really sucks. You know, that screw that person. I can't believe that. You know, just empathizing not telling them that they didn't have a right to feel how they were feeling, but they'd have every right to feel how they're feeling. Not to fuel it, but to empathize, to enter into their world a little bit. Without getting sucked in, it's important to maintain good boundaries, but to be 100% present for that person, to be receptive, to be in that um, divine feminine state of complete receptivity, acceptance, love, To look at that person and say, I love you even though you're going through an experience that makes me uncomfortable. I love and accept you fully even though you are bringing up painful feelings in myself. I love and accept you even though this is really awkward for me. 
but because I love and accept you, I want you to have this experience so you can heal from it. So I see by the old clock on the wall that I'm about out of time for this podcast. I hope this has been interesting for you. Um, This is a topic I'm sure I will touch on more in the future. Um, I circle around to shadow work quite a bit because it is um, it is so important, and I think it's something that people avoid <laughs> for a reason. There's a reason why this stuff is in the shadow. It's painful to examine. It's unconscious for a reason, but real healing comes from when we acknowledge it and recognize it and are okay, and we offer ourselves the self-love to go through these experiences. So I hope you have the, a, a great rest of your day wherever you are in the world whenever you are listening to this. I love you all, and I will be talking to you next time. been listening to Speaking Spirit with your host, John Moore. For more info or to contact John, go to mainshaman.com. That's M-A-I-N-E-S-H-A-M-A-N.com.